your Bibles to Psalm 119, Psalm 119. And really the, the title for the whole psalm is Meditations on the Excellence of the Word of God. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 tonight. Psalm 119 is a wisdom psalm. And it's really the principal song, it's the, the, the main song about the Torah. And it holds in the highest regard the Word of God in a way that's almost as complete as it can be. The theme of Psalm 119 is God's Word is true and wonderful. Stay true to God and His Word no matter how bad the world gets or your circumstances get. And obedience to God's law is the only way to achieve real happiness. The author, we don't know who it is. Some think it's David due to the writings, the matter of writings, and due to his love for God's law. Some think it might have been Ezra, the priest, after the temple was rebuilt. But Psalm 119 is the longest psalm and chapter in the Bible. It has 176 verses and 315 lines. Psalm 119 praises God for his word, the Bible, and that's because God has given us the Bible, and it's only through the Bible that we can come to know who God is and how to praise him. And there has been so much written about Psalm 119. Charles Spurgeon said in his Treasury of David, which is his commentary on the Psalms, uh, he He has written 349 pages dedicated to just Psalm 119. Charles Bridges in the 1800s wrote wrote 481 pages alone about Psalm, Psalm 119. And Charles Bridges wrote a sermon for each of the Psalms, 22 stanzas of Psalm 119 at the age of 33. But probably the most extraordinary of all is the three volume work by Thomas Manton. He was a Puritan. Each volume is 500 to 600 pages long for a total of 1,677 pages. 190 long chapters that comes, out to come more, to, to come, that comes out to be more than one chapter for each verse. There are so many stories connected with this psalm. But this one in particular is the greatest. George Wissert. He was a bishop of Edinburgh in the 17th century, was condemned to die along with Marquis of Montrose. And he would have been executed if it wasn't for this incident. He was on a scaffold waiting to be hung, but at the same time, he was waiting for a pardon. And there was a custom that that, that the condemned was allowed to, 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 to choose a psalm to be sung before they died. Oh, which psalm do you think he chose? 119. In order to gain the time that he needed while waiting for his pardon, and he was successful. And it delayed his execution until his pardon came. Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm. That means it's divided into 22 stanzas. One for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And as you look at Psalm 119, you've got like eight separate verses, eight stanzas of this psalm. And each stanza starts with one of the uh, these uh, letter uh, of the uh, uh, I'm sorry uh, one of each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and each verse of each stanza starts with one of these letters in sequence. So verses one through eight 
Of Psalm 19, you notice it starts with Aleph, the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then uh, Psalm 9, uh, verse 9 through 16 starts with Beth, uh, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so on, it goes to the end of the psalm. But the most extraordinary thing about this psalm is that each verse of the psalm refers to the, ver- to the word of God, the Bible, with just a few exceptions. At least 171 out of 176 verses clearly refer to the word of God. And then there are at least eight synonyms for the word of God that are, all, that are seen all through the psalm. One of the synonyms for the word of God is the law, speaking of the Torah. Testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, word, ordinances. They all are speaking about the word of God. And the psalm uses the full meaning of all of these words as it goes into detail about the application of the law of God for both daily life and Israel's destiny. The law is never, I love this, the law is never considered a curse. God's word is always seen as a gift from God. In 1 John 5, 3, we read that for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. An immature Christian thinks the demands of the Bible are burdensome. They're too hard. They're too difficult to do. You know, he's kind of like a little child who's learning to obey. And he asks his parents, why do I have to do that? Or wouldn't it be better to do it like this? But again, they're learning and they're growing. But a Christian who experiences God's perfecting love finds himself enjoying the word of God and truly loving the word of God. And he doesn't read the Bible like a textbook. He reads the Bible like a love letter from God to him. And the continued effect of this long salute to the word of God is extraordinary. The psalmist can't stop praising God for his mercy and his goodness in providing for his people with instructions for living. You know, the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, you know, it's it's also an acrostic for... Uh, basic instructions before leaving earth. I like that. This is God's basic instructions before leaving earth. So again, it's God's instructions for life. Let's look at now verses 1 and 2 of the beginning of Psalm 119. And the psalmist writes, Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him, notice, with the whole heart. Notice how the blessings come. They come to the undefiled. They come to those who walk in the Lord. They come to those who obey his word. And they come to those who seek God with, his whole, with their whole heart. The psalmist begins here. He starts out with a description of the way to true blessedness. As Jesus started his Sermon on the Mount, and as a whole, the book of Psalms is in other places, begins, blessed are our poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. You see, blessedness means happiness. Blessedness for our comfort and our encouragement. It points us to the right way to happiness. God's word does. Which the whole human race tonight is looking for. The whole human race is looking for happiness. But they're looking for it in so many different and wrong ways and in all the wrong places. The psalmist starts out here, blessed knows, blessed are the undefiled. Blessed are the undefiled. 
Why does God want us to be undefiled? Because he's chosen us for himself. He's chosen us to be servants. He's chosen us to be his bride. And he's chosen us to be for the temple. Are we fit for the temple? These three privileges or names mean that all defilement has to be rejected by us. Are we fit for the temple? Are we fit for the use of God? The Bible says here in verse 1, Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Now, how can we keep from being defiled? How can we keep our garments from getting dirty in this world? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 5, 26 through 28, he says, By cleansing her, that is, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. How does God do this? He's talking about his bride, that Christ is going to one day present her before God without blemish, without her robe being dirty. How does he do this? It says here, by the washing of water with the word. You see, it's God's word that cleanses us. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word, Lord, is truth. A follower of Jesus Christ becomes sanctified in Christ. That is, they become a, a set apart for a holy use, cleansed and made holy through believing and obeying the word of God, which is living and powerful. Reading and applying God's word every day has a purifying effect on our minds and on our hearts, which in turn affects the way we behave. Scripture points out sin. sin. Scripture encourages us to confess our sin. Scripture renews our relationship with Jesus Christ and Scripture guides us back onto the right path. You know, if we've gone astray, it's probably because we've, we've, we're not in the Word of God. And it's not purifying our life and our minds. To get back on the road to, uh, with God on that straight and narrow, we need to get back into His Word. We need to let it cleanse our hearts and our minds. Scripture points out sin, as I said. It encourages us to confess, and it guides us back onto the right path. We can't guide ourselves, believe it or not. We can't direct our own steps. Jeremiah 10, 23, Jeremiah said, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Solomon said in Proverbs 25, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. And there's a lot of fools in the world today because they feel they don't need the direction of God. They don't need the word of God. They think they know which is the right way to go. We read it again. Solomon says in Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to man. But listen, he says, its end is the way of death. It's a dead end street. Psalmist says in 94, 11, 12, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. Notice that they are futile. They're vain. They're empty. But he says, blessed or happy is the man or the woman who you instruct the Lord and teach out of your law. You see, without God's help, we, stem, we stumble into pits of defilement. We, we, we fall into those muddy ditches. Our natural wisdom isn't good enough to direct our steps. That's why we need a shepherd. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, 23, that's why our steps are ordered by the Lord. 
The psalmist said in Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. You see, all the help that we need is as close as a prayer. We learned that this morning. And Jesus is close by to keep us by His mighty power. We need to lean on Him. We need to lean lean on His strong supporting arm with every step that we take. And when we fall, let's get up. Let's wash our robes in His cleansing blood and let's keep on walking on that straight and narrow. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, 23, though He fall, He shall not be utterly cast down. Why? Because the Lord upholds Him with His right hand. And the right hand in Scripture was a, was, was a, a symbol of, of power and strength. God not only provides for us, but He also protects us. The word orders means secured. It means established. Psalm 119, 133, they, the psalmist said, Direct my steps by your word. And even if believers stumble, God will pick them up and He will get them going again. But he can keep us from stumbling. And he can restore us if we do stumble. Why? Because the Bible says the father delights in his children and he wants them to learn how to walk. So may we always be one of the undefiled in the way. And may we let the law of the Lord, God's word, who is wonderful in purity, God who is wonderful in purity and in holiness and in perfect love. May we, may we again, may, may we be on that path. May that be the path that our feet take. Jesus is our model. He's the one that we are to follow. He's our all. He's our sufficiency. God's law was in his heart. Verse 1 here starts out by pronouncing a blessing on the one who shapes his or her life according to the word of God. Psalm 1 started out by pronouncing a blessing. Blessedness is something that we're all aiming for. But we're either uninformed or we have no idea about the way that leads to it. So the psalmist would first set us straight about the right idea of a blessed man. Blessed, he says in verse 1, are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord, who walk in the ways of God's word. We also read in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, again, blessed is the man, happy is the man, or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his, in his law he meditates day and night. Notice where his blessedness, notice where his happiness comes from. He delights in God's word, and he meditates on God's word day and night. God's word is not just a casual thing to be read, as we said earlier, like a textbook. Someone, Psalm 119, in a way, is the Bible's most thorough explanation of the blessing that's pointed out from the very beginning. In the New Living Translation, our, our psalm here, uh, in, with verses 1 and 2, sounds like this. Happy are people of integrity who follow the law of the Lord. Happy are those who obey his decrees and search for him with all of their hearts. Are we obeying his word? Are we searching for him with all of our hearts tonight? Many writers recognize that men and women all over the world want to be happy. We know that. 
We want to be happy. It's the world's goal. The only people who don't want to be happy, they're not normal. But unless they're taught, unless they're instructed by God, human beings don't know how to experience happiness. That's why we have so many alcoholics and drug addicts. People that are just bound in things, trying to find that happiness somewhere, somehow, living from weekend to weekend, hoping to find that thing or that person or whatever it might be that's going to make them happy. They think they'll be happy if they can earn enough money. They think they'll be happy if they find the right man or the right woman. They think they'll be happy if they're respected by the people that they work for. They think they'll be happy if they get the education that they want. Or if they get enough power to do whatever they want or to be free from all restraints. Or if they discover someone who'll love them, no strings attached. But chasing after these things does not guarantee happiness. And sin, it always distorts, it always destroys even the best things that we accomplish. So how can a a person find true happiness? The Bible tells us how. The Bible tells us that the road to a happy life, which is the Bible's word for blessedness, is conforming to the law of God, conforming to the word of God. It means bringing our life into conformance with the word of God. It means when, the, when God's word, when we read God's word and it says, don't do this, we don't do it. Or if God's word says, do this, we do it. We bring our life into conformance with the word of God. People today are changing God's word to conform with the way that they live. Polluting and diluting and corrupting the word of God because of their feelings and their emotions rather than making sound, healthy judgments. God's laws are meant for our good. And we need these laws if we're going to have any semblance of peace and order in our society. Hey, look at our society today. Is it one of semblance and peace? Have you been looking at the protests going on around the world? And we claim to be progressing, evolving, becoming better? Well, the conduct that we see today is proving just the opposite. And that's because God is being left out of people's lives and decision-making processes. People think that God's word is basically restrictive. that, That God doesn't want us to enjoy life. And God's words word is restrictive. And God's word does set boundaries. But you know what? It's meant to keep us from getting hurt. And for the most part, we react negatively to laws, don't we? I don't like anybody to tell me what to do. We don't like people who want to restrict us. We don't like laws that that, that set up restrictions. There are laws like the Bible as well. There are laws in the Bible too. How about the Ten Commandments? How about the words, you shall not? It's the very words that God told Adam and Eve in the beginning, in Genesis 3, 15 through 17. 
It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. You shall not. It's interesting that when God put man and woman in the garden, he, he, he made the garden for them with everything that would make them happy, with everything that would meet their need, everything they needed for a, a prosperous, joyful life. God said, just don't do this one thing. And isn't it that that seems to be our nature? We want to do that one thing that we are told not to do. You know, it, 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 it's very obvious when you see a wet paint sign. What's the first thing we do? Yeah, it's wet. Duh. That's why God says you shall not. He's trying to keep us from hurting ourselves, from destroying ourselves, from ruining our own lives. But usually when the Bible speaks of the law of God, it's speaking of the Torah. It has when it's speaking of the law, but it has something a lot bigger in mind than just the Torah. It's referring, when it's speaking of the word of God, it's referring to the whole person who God is, the whole of God's person. And it's speaking of the whole written revelation containing all the different elements that the other words for law in this psalm suggest, including the words testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, and ordinances. Here in Psalm 119, it's enough to say that what's being uh, commended to us at the start of Psalm 119 is getting to know and to live by the entire revelation of God, which is, is what we call the Bible. The psalm is stressing living by the Bible. It is pointing to us to live by the Bible. Again, Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. See, the Bible is preparing us Christians to leave this earth and to go to, to, go to heaven. Because there will be no sin, no corruption, defilement in heaven. The blessedness that they speak about when it comes to the word of God is for those who walk according to God's law and keep his statutes. Another word for God's law, his ways. In other words, from the very beginning, we are to understand that keeping the law of God, keeping the word of God, that's a sensible thing. It's a sensible matter. It's a way of life. And it's not just a a lesson that we are to learn intellectually and get puffed up in our knowledge. On the other hand, it's also clear that we can't live by the Bible unless we know the Bible. Unless we know it well, like Psalm 1 says, it must be our meditation day and night. As Paul said in Colossians three sixteen and 17, you must let the word of God dwell in you in all wisdom. Is it dwelling in you? It means to find a place in your heart. And if we do what Psalm 1 says to, to, to meditate upon it day and night, to meditate upon the Bible day and night, God's word. Or at least we have to memorize some of it. It's what Christians in the early church did. And that's why the psalm is broken up the way that it is. And it helped them to memorize it. Now, we're not all called to preach, but we could sure do a lot more spiritually speaking if we would make our mind, make up our minds to get to know the Bible. 
but we let ourselves be molded and shaped by the habits and the ways of this life and fill our minds with its superficial idle pleasures and fantasies instead. The cares of this life chokes out the word. The whole point of the opening verses in Psalm 119 isn't just that we need to know the Bible, but that's where we have to start, that is, knowing the Bible, and we have to decide to live by it, that is, obey it. In Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said this, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus said this in John 13, 17, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Notice where the blessedness comes from. It's not from hearing God's word. It's from keeping it. Where does the blessedness come from? It's not knowing these things. Blessed are you if you do them. All of it. All of the word of God. With the whole heart keeping the word. Blessing comes by obeying God's word. Jesus put a premium on obedience. And this blessedness isn't experienced just by the simple act of obedience but rather to that everyday habit of mind that seeks to know the will of God in order to keep it. I can't keep the will of God. I can't keep the, the, the will of God if I don't know the word of God. How many people seek, but seek in vain for no other reason than they don't seek him with the whole heart. The worldly man's heart is divided. So he's going to be found faulty. Hosea 10.2 says, Their heart is divided, now they are held guilty. Jesus said in Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That means you can't be divided in our heart and serve God with the right heart. We can't say Jesus is our Lord if our loyalty is to anything or anybody else, including ourselves. And many times we make ourselves our own God. I feed my flesh. I give it what I want. I do what it says. I do what it craves to do. And when we know God's will, but but we resist knowing it, then we give evidence that our loyalty is other than to him. We have a divided heart. When we know the word of God, but we resist it, we don't obey it, it shows that we're being disloyal to him. We have a divided heart. And Jesus said we can't serve two masters at the same time. That's like trying to walk in two directions at the same time. You can't do it. John Calvin said this, Where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. Where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. Our treasure is either on earth or it's in heaven. Our spiritual life is either full of light or it's full of darkness. And our master is either God or the things in this world, things other than God. The one who professes Christ, the one who professes that they love him, the one who says a lot about love, but follows his own desires, is like those God spoke about in Ezekiel 33, 31 through 33. God says to Ezekiel, so they come to you, Ezekiel, as people do. They sit before you as my people. That is, they pretend to be sincere, Ezekiel. 
and they listen to your words, but they don't do them. For with their mouth, they show a lot of love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them like a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. But the faithful and upright believer alone brings his whole heart to the Lord. Verses 3 and 4. He goes on to say about the undefiled in the way. They also do no iniquity. They walk in God's ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Verses 3 and 4 here are reaffirming what is said in verses 1 and 2. The reason that we're not happy is that we sin. And the main reason we sin as much as we do is that we don't know the Bible good enough. This verse tells us that the happy people are those who do no iniquity. But if we ask how they've learned not to do wrong, the answer will definitely be that they've learned to walk in his ways. They've learned to obey God's precepts, God's word. This wasn't the character they were born with. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 2, uh, in the New Living Translation. At one time they were doing nothing but iniquity. Now they do no iniquity. You used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin. But Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, but now they walk in his ways. Why? Because they're new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. John said in 1 John 3, 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. That is, he doesn't practice sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot practice sin because he has been born of God. And now, as a result of their new birth, their hatred and their resistance to sin is now instinctive. You see, when we're truly born again, we hate sin automatically. And we hate sin just as much as we love sin when the time, and the time that we hated God. Man, when we hated God and we didn't want anything to go, oh, we love sin and we were, we were servants of the devil. Praise God for what we owe him for the cross praise god for the cross praise god for our redemption from guilt and death praise god for the wonderful hope that we have when we have our glorified bodies and we're with him in heaven the whole purpose of the law is to be obeyed and it's not for being puffed up intellectually just because of the knowledge of it that we have it Sometimes we read the Bible and we get the idea that the men and the women in the Bible, that they were special people with special powers. You know, we go, oh, well, you know, they, you know God made them different. God made them special. God made them with superpowers. They think they weren't ordinary people like ourselves. And yet in James five seventeen we read that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You see, they were extraordinary people because they lived extraordinary lives. They did extraordinary things, yet they were ordinary people because they lived obedient to God. Elijah wasn't perfect. Remember after the victory on Mount Carmel, Elijah became afraid because Jezebel said that she was going to kill him. He got discouraged. He ran away. He, he went into a cave and said, God, I'm done. I've had it. I want to die. God's promises of answered prayer are for all of his children, not just for the ones that we, we might call the spiritual cream of the crop. And we tend to think like that today when we see happy people. Oh, well, their life is wonderful. 
They're happy because their life is all is free of problems. They never have any difficulties. Their life is a breeze for them. They're not walking in my shoes. Oh, woe is me. But the reason they're happy isn't because their life is trouble-free. Because God said, God's word says we will have tribulation in this life. But you see, their life is trouble-free, isn't trouble-free, but they've been living blamelessly. They've been living according to the word of God. They obey his word and they seek God with all of their heart, with a whole heart. And as Paul said, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 7. The psalmist must have been one of those people to be able to write like he is. But as we go along in the psalm, we find out that he was just, he was very ordinary, just like us, because he hasn't gotten to be happy yet. Like the blessed ones that he's describing, and that he had difficulties and afflictions, just like ordinary people do, just like we do. He wants to be one of those people that he's writing about, but he's not there yet. But why is that? Why is it that I might find his precepts hard to me? Maybe it's because of, of, of laziness. Maybe I've gotten into, into a, a, a lazy mode. Or maybe I've gotten into some sin that I have hidden in my heart. Or something has caused my unfaithfulness and has divided my services between two masters. When I should be following the Lord completely and all alone. Man, if we would only... If follow him simply and sincerely in his instructions, if only our love for him was as warm and constant, which is the bottom line of devotions and serving God, we would be happy people. If we had, if we only had more of that wisdom from above and without hypocrisy, as James wrote about. Verses five through seven. He says, oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. Verse seven, I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. He's a godly man, but he's totally aware that he still has a long way to go. And you see, the psalmist is just like us. The psalmist hasn't attained the obedience that he desires. He's admitting it openly here. The Lord expects our obedience. Not only to be, a, to be diligent, but to be complete. If we're willing to break even the least of the commandments, it proves that we haven't learned yet the spirit of acceptable obedience. Jesus said in Matthew five nineteen, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. God's grace is given and it's suited for every one of God's children. It's not less for some and more for others. It's available to every single one who walks worthy of the Lord, who are fully pleasing to him, Colossians 1.10 says. Sincerity, you know, realness, realism, reality. Sincerity has to be the mark of the Christian profession. I can't just say what I am. I have to be what I am. I have to walk the walk. And even though I might not be able to live in perfect obedience to even the, the least of the commandments, my desire and my purpose will be to have respect for all of them. My desire will be not to break even the least of them, not a single one of them. But I also won't think that if I do several of them well, it will cover me for the ones that I disobey. Now, 
Is our desire tonight, like the psalmist here, to seek God with all of our heart, to know the Bible and actually obey God's commands? Just how determined was the psalmist to obey God's commands? Well, look at verse 8 in closing. It shows us his determination. He says in verse 8, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. The determination to keep his, God's statutes is the natural result of, learned, of having learned your judgments, your righteous judgments there in verse 7. The psalmist is determined in his purpose, but he doesn't even trust his own strength to, do, to carry out or accomplish his purpose. Right away, after he makes his promise here in verse 8 to keep his statutes, he remembers that, in order, that, that to keep them, it's beyond his power. So right away, he follows with this prayer. Lord, I will keep your statutes. He says, notice, notice, oh, do not forsake me utterly. In other words, Lord, I will, I will obey your decrees, but please don't give up on me. Beware of self-confidence in the Christian walk. Beware of your own strength, your own wisdom. We stumble or we move forward. As we lean upon the arm of the flesh, hey, we will stumble. But as we, if, we, if we move forward, if we're going to move forward, we need to lean upon our almighty God. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful First eight stanzas, Lord, of Psalm 119, Lord, and we have so far to go. Father, help us to, God, to lean upon your wonderful words, Lord. Again, Father, we stumble or move forward as we lean upon the arm of the flesh or upon our almighty Lord. Father, let us be determined as the psalmist is here, God. Let us be determined, again, to keep your statutes, Lord. But when we fail, God, don't give up on us. And we're so thankful that you don't give up on us. And your Psalms, the Psalms even says that though we fail and though we fall, Lord, you pick us up. Your grace doesn't keep us from falling but your grace keeps us from staying down. We thank you for that, God. And maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. What does matter is you've heard the gospel tonight. You've heard about the goodness of God. You've heard about his son's death upon the cross for our sins. And the only way to a blessed life, which doesn't mean a trouble-free life. It means that we can experience joy in the midst of bad circumstances. It happens only in Christ. He gives us the ability to do that. The worship team's going to lead us in a song of worship. And if the, and if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, And you recognize, I need Jesus. I'm tired of of just existing from day to day. But I want to live. I truly want to live the life that God has planned out for me. I want all that God has for me today. Then as we worship, 
You get up out of your seat. You make your way to the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.